so to it, John gives this extended rendition and some of the most amazing, most profound, most incredible, most heart-reaching things that Jesus ever said, John captures for us in that surrounding time around the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, 13 to 17. He begins in chapter 13 by washing their feet, serving them, and then saying, I want you to get this, and I want you to do this for each other. And then he ends chapter 17, the very end of chapter 17, he ends praying. And he's praying, and he prays, among other things, he prays for their unity. He's pouring himself out in prayer, and he says, God, may they be one. May they be one like you and I are one. May they be brought to complete unity, so that the whole world will know that you, Father, have sent me. That's how he begins. That's how he ends. Sandwiched in the middle of that are some important things about our relationships with each other. Verse 33 of John 13. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going You cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? So this is... uh, Key time for Jesus. And He's telling them, there's, there's going to be change. There's going to be transition. I'm not going to be here in the same way relating to you as I have been. And then because of that, He says, here's what I want you to know. And He phrases it so obvious that really, the chauffeur could answer it. As to what the Lord wanted to be important to us. A new command I give you. How else could He say it? If He wanted to highlight it, if He wanted to underscore it, if He wanted to put it in bold type, how else could He do it than the way He says it here? A new command I give you. Love one another. And that's going to be how other people are going to know. Now, remember, it's not our love for other people. That's going to come in its time. But it's our love for each other. It's the relationships and the way we resolve conflict, the way we deal with cultural and ethnic and all different kinds of socioeconomic differences and all that stuff that goes around and dealing with our backgrounds and bringing all our brokenness into relationship with others. It's our dealing with that together that God wants to put on display to the world and say, hey, what you're, what you're longing for, what your heart is aching for, what your life is so empty because you don't have, voila, here, yep. here it is. Right. Yep. Among my people. Now go, go join them. That's what God wants for us to be in the world. Peter, it's like he misses the point. Because his mind is back on, you said you're leaving? Yep. It's like he didn't, even, he didn't even hear the main thing that the Lord was trying to say. He might have missed it. And I think sometimes we miss it. Of things that we might be known for as a North region, 
of, of things that we might be known for in our various ministries, of things your group, that group that you shepherd and that God has called you, that's been emphasized here today. You've been called to this role by the Lord. But what that group is known for, would it be known for, wow, it's just the, the love they have for each other. It's the relationships. It's the, the closeness. What's going on there is so unique. And, and the others around, they know you and, and, and your group by the love. Now we're, we're thinking maybe Peter might have missed this. Chapter 15, the Lord revisits this same subject. John 15 and verse 8. And the, head, the, the, the context of John 15, you know, is the fruit coming off of the vine. The vine that, that, that the Lord is and the branches that we are. And you've got to remain in the vine because if you're separated from the vine, you're, you're not going to be fruitful. And, and in verse 8 he says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And we all want that. We want to be fruitful, to be productive. We want all the fruit that God offers us to bear. We want the fruit of more disciples. We want the fruit of the Spirit. We want the fruit of, of righteous activity that comes from our lives, the fruit of good deeds. I mean, we want it all, don't we? Yeah. We want to keep on doing that good that Joe talked about earlier. How do, how do you accomplish that? Well, he answers that. Just like he wanted to answer in 13, how do you handle change and transition? Answer, love each other. How do you get people to be productive and to feel like their life is meaningful and they're making a difference in the world because that's what we want? How do you get that? Here's the answer, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The message is you've got to remain in Him. If you remain in Him, you're going to be abundantly fruitful. How you remain in Him is by obeying His commands. All right? that, that's what He said so far. Well, what commands? Verse 12, My command is this. Do you hear the echo? Do you hear the echo of when the, when the teacher asked him of all the commands, what's the most important? And when he got them together and he's talking about the transition, and he says, here's what I want you to get. Could the Lord have said it any other way? My command is this. Love each other as I've loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that He lay down His life for His friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Now this is so, this is so huge right here. Remember the setting that in the intimate time, the Lord is having the Lord's Supper with them. He's instituting it with them. And He's sharing some of those, those treasured, precious, most precious insight. And right here, He says, and I'm, I'm letting you know my business. Other people out there don't get it. And there will be some that never will get it. There will be some that will end up being forever confused about it. But I want to let you in on what my business is. And I'm so glad the Lord did that because there's times when I get confused. Life confuses me. Family stuff confuses me. Living in the world confuses me. Ministry can confuse me. Relationships can confuse me. 
I'm just so glad that the Lord speaks to this and cuts through the confusion. I called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Okay, now he comes to the point, same point. What do you do if you want to get a group of people productive, making a difference, fulfilling what, what they have beating in their cells? This is my command. Love each other. You know, the best stories are love stories. And what God's really saying is, write me a love story. Take your life and your sphere of influence and your group, write me a love story. You know songs. The best songs are love songs. Love songs. And, you know, we're called in the Psalms, sing to the Lord a new song. But you know what He really wants us to sing Him? He wants us to sing Him a love song. Together, with the people around us, in our sphere of influence, the Lord is basically saying, sing me a love song. The other, the other day I was driving in my car and I heard this, this love song. And it's one that's been out there a while. I hadn't heard it before. And I've got to put this disclaimer on that I don't know the artist and I don't know what other songs she may have, but it's a song by Christina Perry called Arms. And she's, she's basically talking about how she's never really loved before and she has these walls up around her. But you know, this person comes and just by, just by putting his arms, I hope it's a him, putting his arms... <laughs> Putting his arms around her, all of a sudden, all of a sudden she says, I'm home. I'm home. And and she's saying, you know, I'm putting up these walls, but I really hope you see through my walls. And although you've knocked me off the ground, I'm not sure I really want to love this way. And so I'm going to need you to put your arms around me and, and, and take me through all of the fear that I have about, about relationships and about loving. That's how people are. That's how we are. But that's how people out there really are. And what God is saying is first with your group, with your people, and then from there to those people out there that, that, are, that are needing His arms wrapped around them, He's saying, write me a love song. Sing me a love song. 1 Corinthians 13. We know where this one's going. Yeah. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, if you wanted to get Christian leaders to not miss the point, how would you say it? If you wanted to get people who who, who get busy and and we get doing things and we have a lot of priorities, priorities, and we're trying, it's the beginning of the year, we're trying to establish our priorities and get things right. But I mean, there's so many things. So many important things. So many convictions that we we want to get honed and get sharpened. But but if you were speaking to them, how might you say it so that they wouldn't miss the point? Well, the apostle came up with one approach. And like the Lord's. 1 Corinthians 13, And now I will show you the most excellent way if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But I have not love. I am only a resounding gong 
or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. Is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. How would you say it? I don't know that you could say it any differently than this. If you do anything, as good as you may be at it, as gifted and talented as you may be at it, if you do that thing in an all-world rock star fashion, but you don't have love in your motivational level on it, you're really gaining nothing. But if you have love, whatever else you may be doing, group leader, and however successful or however failing you may think you are at it, add love to it. In 2012, add to your progress in the Lord and your state of the art of of leading your group. Just just add, add some more love to it. And that will not fail. Now he had said this, Right after chapter 12. Chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians really speaks to us as group leaders and working with people who are also very different and and trying trying to get them to mesh. We're going to talk about it in a moment, but we need to to take a break. We need to stand up. Go ahead and stand up. And I want this side of the room to face this side of the room and this side of the room to face this side of the room. And Caesar's going to come and lead us in I love you with the love of the Lord. Because I know we really do love each other and we just, we just need to sing a love song to each other in the Lord right now. on the nuts and bolts of loving each other. Okay. Uh, set that up, and then in a moment we're going to give you a handout. First uh, Corinthians 12, verse 14. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now this body, it's describing the global and eternal family of God. It's also describing, describing the L.A. Church. It's describing the North Region. It's describing your ministry. It's also, this body, it's describing your group. Alright? The body's not made of one part. Your group isn't made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, 
Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. All right, one of the challenges we have in pulling people together is getting people to work together as a team, right? You know, to function as a body or to use a common contemporary term, to function as a team. Now, we need to know that teamwork makes the dream work. Doesn't it really? Isn't that true? Teamwork makes the dream work. And yet, there's some who, because they're not, you know, like somebody else, they feel like they don't belong. And there are people right now in your group that could be, maybe not, maybe your group is hitting on all cylinders right now, really hitting the stride. But, but the potential is that there are people in your group that right now are feeling, I don't belong here. And you've got to somehow work with them and you've got to draw them in. But they're feeling, I don't belong. And they feel like they don't belong because their gifts, their abilities, their way of interacting with other groups of people doesn't seem to match up with the people in their group. And they, they think, I'm either on another planet or what planet are these people from? Is what they're thinking, really. And, 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 and so they're thinking, I don't belong. The other challenge is in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The other challenge that we do have alongside insecurity is pride. That's really the flip side of the same coin. But there's, some, there's pride out there too. People that are thinking, and they may be in your group, and, and, and maybe you're having a hard time tracking them down and getting them to things, and maybe it's even very difficult to try and challenge them or, or, or motivate them to, to go beyond their app because they're thinking, I don't need this. I don't need you, and I don't need the group, and I don't need that meeting, and I don't need that event, and I don't need that discipling. And, and so they're, because they feel somehow beyond it or above it, they're, they're feeling, I don't. I don't need this. Those are our two challenges. I don't belong. I don't need this. As revealed to us by the Holy Spirit as it applies to body life or group life or getting your group to work together as a team. What's it going to take? Well, he's going to tell us in chapter 13, it's going to take love. What do we need to do? We need to love each other. What does that mean? It means we need to love each other. It means love is something that we, we do. It's action. It's being patient. It's being kind. It's not boasting. It's not being proud. Let's have the handouts now. If those that are ready could pass them out. We're going to give you a handout. It's two-sided. One side talks about the characteristics of an effective team. The other side talks about four different types of team player styles. And that gets into the eye, the hand, the foot, the ear. The different ways that people go about interacting with each other. So once everybody gets one... We're going to go through it. And we're going to look first of all at what makes an effective winning team. What takes a group of people and draws them together and gets them doing the kinds of things they need to be doing so that they win. In our case, so that we bring glory to God. What what is that going to take? We're going to start with the characteristics of an effective team first. So you want to have that page? Hold up your hands if you haven't got one yet. Anybody on the ends? Don't get one. Please hold up your hands. There's some up here in the front. Thank you for your help. Those of you that are passing them out. All right. First of all, characteristics of an effective team. A clear purpose. 
The vision, mission, goal, task of the team has been defined and accepted by everyone. There is an agreed upon action plan. Do you feel that with your group? Can we ask anybody in your group? And they get it. They get what your group is trying to do. You know, like get each other to heaven and get as many people as possible to heaven either before we die or before the Lord comes. What? Do they get the purpose? Is everybody clear on it? Secondly, informality. The climate tends to be informal, comfortable, relaxed. There are no obvious tensions or signs of boredom. I'm looking, I'm looking. Any signs of boredom here? I think we're doing all right. Third, participation. There is much discussion and everyone is encouraged to participate. Does that that describe when you guys circle up maybe after midweek for a response to a message or when your group gets together maybe for an evangelistic outreach? But is everybody participating? Everybody included. Listening, number four. The members use effective listening techniques, techniques such as questioning, paraphrasing, and summarizing to get out ideas. You know, some of these don't come natural. People have to be equipped and trained in how to use effective listening techniques. Are we giving that that training? So that's resulting in our group. Five, civilized disagreement. Those words go together. The team is comfortable with disagreement and shows no signs of avoiding, smoothing over, or suppressing conflict. Sometimes we think that love means that the waters are just tranquil. We're going to love each other, that we can have no conflict. But no, actually, really, bumps are our friend in relationships. And some of the most loving thing that we can do with each other is to get into it, as long as it's a climate of civilized disagreement. Six, consensus decisions. Important decisions are made by substantial, but not necessarily unanimous agreement while avoiding easy compromise. What are you going to do? What's the outreach activity going to be? When's the group going to meet? What what is the group going to study? What are the discipling relationships going to be? And who's going to get with who on this? And you know, there's got to be an agreement, but sometimes there can't necessarily be 100% unanimous, but there can be an agreed consensus that things have been processed, and then we've arrived at that. Is that how your group functions. Seven, open communication. Team members feel free to express their feelings on the task as well as on the group's operation. There are few hidden agendas. You know those pesky hidden agendas that's going on and maybe they're coming up in sidebar conversations, not out in the group and not out with a group leader, but going around outside there. There's just few of those on the effective winning team because they have open communication. A clear roles and work assignments. There are clear expectations about the roles played by each team member. Assignments are made, accepted, and completed. You know, who's going to bring the food? What food to the next activity? What about the kids? Who's going to watch the kids this time? Uh, what about, uh, you know, we, we're going to do this, but it's going to require several different tasks being done at the same time. Who's going to do what? Well, everybody chips in and there's, the work gets done and everybody does their part. External... Relationships. The team spends time developing relationships with other individuals and groups in the larger organization. You know, we don't want just an isolated Bible talk. You know, they're just there by themselves and, and it's all about them and they don't have or, or spend time interacting with anybody else. Or you don't want a ministry, for instance, in the North Region that's just isolated by itself and doesn't have interaction with other people. 
in the North region, nor do we want the North region to just be an isolated ministry that just keeps to itself and doesn't interact with the rest of the LA church or with the rest of God's kingdom out there, right? So there's this purposeful time of, of external relations because you know what? I cannot give the people in my sphere of influence everything they need spiritually. That's not a shocker to you, is it? But neither can you, group leader, give the people in your sphere of influence everything they need spiritually. So fostering these outside relationships are so important. Style diversity. We're going to get to this on the next page. The team has a broad spectrum of team player types who give emphasis to different priorities, tasks, goals, and functions. And then self-assessment. Periodically, the team stops to examine how well it's functioning and what may be interfering with its effectiveness. And we've got a group leader that's okay with that. It's comfortable enough and secure enough. Well, yeah, let's evaluate. How are we doing? How are we off? How do we need to, what do we need to do to get back on straight? Okay, we made it through the first page. Stand up. Stand up. What are you saying, Devin? I, I still don't know what you mean. I skipped nine. Yeah, we don't want to share leadership here. Shared leadership, number nine. While the team has a formal leader, leadership function shifts from time to time depending on circumstances and need. Kevin's not bored. Thank you. He's dialed in, isn't he? Okay. What you want to do is more high fives. Tell the person right next to you. This is one person. We made it through the first page. And give them a high five. teamwork written by a guy named Glenn Parker. You might look that up. Whether or not you like these words, it's just the idea of there are different roles. And sometimes the roles that might annoy us are the ones we need. We might be missing. So let's go through this. Group needs a contributor. Contributors are task-oriented and action-focused. Give them a job to do, and they're happy. They meet deadlines and produce quality work. They accept responsibility. They help the team use its time and resources wisely. They operate by priorities. Contributors will push the team towards excellence. However, they dislike uncertainty and ambiguity. They can get impatient and want results immediately. They need to work at communication skills. Their strengths, they're dependable, responsible, organized, efficient, logical, their weaknesses, legalistic, short-sighted, compulsive, perfectionistic, and creative. If the contributor role is missing right now in your group, you don't have somebody that has that or you're not letting them fulfill that role, the team will struggle with getting things accomplished. There will be poor use of time and resources. Meetings will not be well planned and organized. 
Now maybe somebody in your group that's even mentioned that to you and complained about that, and it might be a clue that they'd like to be and play that contributor role in their group. Are you loving them enough to let them be the hand or the eye or the foot or the ear that God has made them to be? Collaborators. Secondly, see the big picture and like ideas and concepts. They help the team establish long-term goals and clarify its objectives. They let the team's vision and mission be the driver. They're good at helping others understand where they fit in to the larger picture. They, they don't like getting bogged down in details and, and, and can ignore work in favor of conceptualizing and dreaming about the future. I had one brother tell me, I was trying to get him to do something, he said, no, I, I'm an idea man. <laughs> They like conceptualizing and dreaming about the future. They may overcommit by setting too many objectives. Strengths, forward-looking, imaginative, visionary, cooperative, conceptual, flexible, the weakness, overly ambitious, overextended, insensitive, too global, too involved. If the collaborator role is missing, the team will lack a clear mission and purpose. It's likely to flounder. Without a central vision, the team members may have a go-it-alone mentality. Do you have that collaborator role on your team and your group? Three, communicators are strong context people. They make sure that everyone is on board before proceeding. They're aware of how others feel and are excellent listeners and facilitators. They're skilled at resolving conflicts. They will help the team relax and keep an informal, friendly atmosphere. Communicators must be careful not to push listening and feedback too far if the team gets bogged down. They can become process fanatics, driving others to distraction. I was in a meeting a few weeks ago with Bruce Williams and some region leaders in the L.A. church. And Bruce pulled me aside. And we were at a break and he pulled me aside and he said, Bro, you're helping us, but you really need to cool it a bit. Enough of the, what did you hear him say? And what did you hear him say stuff, all right? You've helped us, but, but we really got to get moving here. You can kind of get where, where I might fit in here. Strength, supportive, encouraging, relaxed, helpful, helpful weakness, lacking direction, impractical, placating, foolish, manipulative. If the communicator's role is missing, the team climate will be formal, even tense. There's talking, but not real listening. Few decisions are made with true consensus. And then finally, our friends, the challengers, who we need, but we may not be comfortable with. Challengers are open and direct. They regularly challenge the team's methods, goals, and values. They ask why or how when the team is making plans. They don't hesitate to disagree with the team's leader. What? (laughs) They don't hesitate to disagree with the team's leader or point out that he missed number nine. must be careful not to use their style for non-productive use. It's necessary at times to let an issue drop. Their strengths are candid, questioning, truthful, principled, bold, outspoken. Weaknesses, rigid, arrogant, self-righteous, contentious, nitpicking. If the challenger role is missing, there will be conformity rather than unity. Team members will withhold their true feelings, play it safe, avoid taking risks. Stagnation will follow. There's some things for you to think about. The idea is If you have somebody in your group, and by the way, God put us together in our particular group, and He said, what I really want you to do, here's my command, love each 
other. Write me a love story. And then learn to work together as a team because teamwork makes the dream work. Let's close out. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And, And in case we miss the point so that we get it, but the greatest of these is love. Now I want you to hear from the real brains and beauty of the outfit. Renee is going to come and share with you. Well, I just want to just share a few thoughts before we head over to lunch, but um, it has just been an incredible time together. And I'm so grateful that the sisters are here in full force and we're ready to get to work in 2012. And it's exciting for us as women because we get to lead with these awesome brothers. And I look around the room and I think God has blessed us. I was telling someone about a church meeting that I observed a few weeks ago. Uh, at the church that we rent in the valley. And it was a lot of women and a couple interesting men (laughs) in the meeting. And uh, I kind of was able to overhear a few things. And it was, wow, we have an incredible fellowship. We have awesome brothers that are stepping up and leading us. And we have um, our responsibilities to follow. Uh, As women, we need to follow, and we also need to lead in the right circles, the, the women, in, in the, the way God has set it up for us. And I just feel so spiritually fed this morning from being inspired by Joe that um, there is a promise that will be fulfilled, that there will be a harvest. And uh, Gio, when he talked about um, we were made to lead, you know, we're all in this room because God put something in us. There's not an accident. There's, Somebody may be sitting here thinking, I, what happened? You know, I just got a call last night. I'm here. I'm not sure. Or you may have got a call last night. You're here and you're really excited. I think God, there's not one person here that isn't here for a reason. And it's exciting to think of what God wants to do with us in 2012. And then Jerry just giving us such incredible wisdom on how to function in our families, but also in our family groups and in this huge family, the church. And, and then Ron really giving us some really practical training on how to, let's face it, a lot of us have been doing this for a while, as was said, we've been leading groups, and so we just need to reload, yeah. recalibrate, find new creative ways to look at our group in a different way. And I love 1 Corinthians 12 and how the Bible talks about how God made the church like the body and how each part it does its work and each part every single part even the most the weakest the oddest the strangest parts of the body are made for a reason in the church and every single one has we may be the oddest one in the the group that we're in but God has put us there and we're important and we really have so much to do um just a couple things that I just really wanted to point out was that um, as we're all we all sit in a different seat, sitting as followers or we're sitting as leaders. And um, when Ron talked about sometimes we're just confused about what to do next, it is so great that the scriptures really clarify that there are many parts. And um, when you think about it, this was back at the very beginning of the church, the purest times before all these centuries of divisions 
that we see now, how we experience, how the world experiences Christianity is how many different kinds of denominations and things are there. We see the purest forms, and they needed to know. They, they had the same insecurities. They had the same feelings of, I don't belong here, or I don't need this. Isn't that amazing to think? I, I've had both of those thoughts at different times in different circles, that I, in different groups that I sit in. And to know that our first century brothers and sisters, somehow we, I think we think, oh, they just didn't have to deal with that because it was all so exciting and new and fresh and the church was growing. But the church needed to hear that then, just like we do now. And I just love, you know, I guess I, I mean, I knew 1 Corinthians 13 came after 1 Corinthians 12. <laughs> it all sense. But as I was reading it this morning, it really, it's amazing that 1 Corinthians 13 comes after 1 Corinthians 12. Because usually, I, you know, we study that in the church study about the part, but we don't go on and talk about 1 Corinthians 13, but we put that together. That we're going to have challenges in leading, we're going to have challenges in following, we're going to have challenges in building our families, but love never fails. Amen. If we can just remember that in 2012 and beyond, we're going to do great and exciting things for God. And I just want to encourage the women to be great supporters of your husbands. If you're in a married ministry, if you're in a singles ministry or campus ministry or youth ministry, be great supporters of your male leadership partner. And we're going to be awesome, what God wants us as women to be. So thank you. Love you guys.